0: What's up everyone, it's Jan Bors, it's New Humans of Eurovision show. So please like, share and subscribe the channel because our focus today is the country of channels, the Netherlands. And the Netherlands is a hosting country of course and it's opening up again and we're talking about it with Sitze. Bakker, the executive producer of Eurovision Song Contest of 2021 as well as a creator of one of the creators or the producers of Europe shine a light which was very important event for the Eurovision world and maybe for the world and the Europe itself we're gonna talk about this we're gonna talk about the possibilities for 2021 and we're gonna talk about the philosophy of his team about Eurovision and I can promise you that, that after you'll see it, you will be cheering up like I do now. So please, welcome Sitse Bakker. Hey Sice, I'm really glad that you have time for me to have this conversation, this interview, because you're, you must be very busy, well, for two years already probably.
1: Yeah it's actually a fun break to uh, to talk to you and catch up on some memories and look forward to uh, what this year is going to bring.
0: Yeah I'm really curious what this year is going to bring but let's get back to the past for a while because I'm because you're on the long road already for for obvious reasons but can you tell me a good memory which is your First five minutes after you realized you won the Eurovision Song Contest in 2019.
1: (laughs) It's um, um, I I was actually in in another job at the time, and uh, and I I didn't know I was going to do this job until several weeks uh, later. But obviously, having been closely involved with Eurovision, and having seen my own country going through. I think it was eight years not qualifying for the final up to twenty thirteen. Um, so the, the idea that, that my own country could actually win was was pretty pretty slim. And uh, when it when it actually happened, it was uh, it was it was a very uh, very emotional feeling, and uh, and, and uh, made me very proud, of course. Which I think everyone who loves Eurovision, if your country wins, you 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 know that feeling.
0: Yeah for sure. I don't know this feeling yet, but one day probably hopefully it one will, day. it will it will happen for <laughs> sure. Well, Portugal were waiting for a lot of time. Well, but uh, how was your first weeks at the job when you when you became executive producer for Eurovision 2020?
1: Yeah, I, I was asked actually to uh, to come to the the broadcaster office on Monday because they they knew I was involved with Eurovision for many years. And they asked me if I wanted to to just come by and and share some some thoughts and some advice, and I said, of course, I'd be happy to. So uh, so I, I, I vividly remember going to the NPO offices. I think it was around two o'clock, and um, and when I came in, it, it was it was very funny. There was uh, uh, there was donuts at the reception from uh, Dunkin' Donuts. But uh, they changed their name in Dunkin' Donuts. We were not paid for this,
0: you know, he didn't have to
1: say it. <laughs> not at all, not at <laughs> all. Uh, uh, I do remember I, I, I didn't have any lunch, so I quickly ate one of those donuts uh, before I went in and, uh, and we had a very interesting but long meeting. And uh, from the response and the questions I got, uh, it became clear to me that uh, that they had more in mind for me uh, and a few other people. Uh, to lay the foundations of uh, what would become uh, our organization uh, and those very first weeks were uh, were obviously very intense because uh, for many people in the broadcaster it's uh, it's a first time it's a unique experience and they don't know what is what is going to happen so yeah, and uh, as well
0: in the Netherlands the structure of public broadcasters is kind of different than from many other countries where it's just one main public broadcaster, but in the Netherlands, it's kind of shuttered, if I can say like this. So how this, this was hard to get all those broadcasters and probably their managements and the people for, and just forge the team, how hard it was and how did you, how did you make it?
1: Yeah, the Netherlands is a bit different from many other countries because we have a like an umbrella organization, which is NPO. Netherlands Public Broadcasting, and they manage and operate the channels. Um, so they make the schedules, the, uh, the, the brand identity, uh, make sure that uh, everything is compliant with the law. Uh, and then underneath, there are several different broadcasting organizations that actually uh, create the content, and they all have a different focus and a different profile. In the Netherlands, Afrotros is the broadcaster uh, that actually participates in the Eurovision Song Contest, so they, in fact, won. But uh, it's also tradition that uh, NOS, which is the news broadcaster, uh, has the experience of hosting uh, large events and also um, uh, host broadcast the previous Eurovision Song Contests that took place in the Netherlands. So it became very clear from the start that this was going to be a three-way collaboration. Uh, and we looked... Uh, within all three organizations, to find uh, the best people to build a, to build a great team, and that's what we focused the first weeks on. Obviously, alongside finding the money, uh, starting the host city uh, bid process, and uh, drafting a, a timeline. Because if you host Eurovision, you have uh, you don't have enough time basically, so you have to start working on day one.
0: Yeah, um, you basically did start at the at the day one from my point of view because I remember I've been in Rome it was September 2019 so 3 or maybe less than 4 months after the sele- uh, after your winning the Eurovision and you already got set up the team you got this time schedule you already knew it's going to be in Rotterdam or you you probably knew it you almost probably had the logo and, you know, all of those graphical elements. And I was just sitting there at the press conference when you were just, or the, the HOD conference, or how, how to call it, and I was watching and say, like, we're in the good hands, we're in the good hands. It's, it's, all, it's almost done, just deliver them the songs and it's, it's, it's just good. And I found out one more thing that you had this team of yours, which was quite a huge kind of. But it was all made from the people from the Netherlands, which is a big news kind of new step after all of those years when there was a like hosting broadcaster and the Swedish team collaboration. So why did you do that?
1: yeah well first of all i mean a, a lot of credit and respect to our our friends from sweden because they've uh, they've built up a, a great deal of of knowledge about the song contest and have been able to share that with broadcasters from many different countries and uh, and i think the uh, the the increased popularity of the song contest in the last 20 or so years is uh, for a large part thanks to to their effort at the same time, we know that that the Netherlands is a country where, uh, which is known for uh, for a lot of uh, TV formats. There are a lot of TV and event professionals here. Uh, you know, think of The Voice, uh, Big Brother. Uh, think of uh, uh, large festival organizations like ID that that do have a lot of big uh, brands uh, operating around the world. So there are a lot of competent people here in the Netherlands and. What we realized is that we could probably make this work with uh, with with an all Dutch team. So what we did is we started to look for the best people in the country to to work on the song contest we We felt that yes, there is a, a bit of risk uh, in that. So we did ask some people from uh, Sweden for advice like yeah, like, it, yeah like, and, and like I was talking Albert. about it yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we did ask them for advice, but they were not sort of, um, uh, they were not in the, in the roles that they are often in, like head of production. Um, so, with with some advice from them, with some uh, really good advice from previous host broadcasters from Israel, from Portugal, from Sweden, uh, we uh, we managed to uh, t- to basically get everything we we needed. We also felt it was important to to find our own voice and to, to put a, a, a stamp on it. Because what, what we did see when you look at the previous Eurovision Song Contest is that there were also a couple of elements that, that, were, uh, that were quite similar. Um, and we thought, you know, let's try and make this distinctly Dutch and, uh, and see where that brings us. Uh, and that is also healthy for the song contest.
0: Just sorry that I'm interrupting you, but I'm really curious because I'm not sure if like everyone just got this like you just say it's completely Dutch and everybody just know oh because of this and this and that. Can you describe some really stamps as you call it, which were, which makes difference that you like this is different from the past five, six years. This is us.
1: Yeah, obviously, a lot of that is still the, to be seen because we haven't shown what we uh, what we created to uh, to Europe and the world yet. But uh, things like the visual identity, which is distinctly Dutch uh, design, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 creative elements of the of the shows, the uh, the, the postcards, the the opening and interval acts um uh, the hosts you know we wanted we wanted the dutch audience to recognize the song contest that we are making as something that that comes from them something that is their gift to uh, uh, to europe and obviously to to be able to tell uh, the people in the netherlands that we we did this as a nation by bringing together the best people from uh, from the industry um our ambition was and remains to uh, to to make them proud, and uh, and we hope we will do that even under those challenging circumstances that we are in now.
0: I'm pretty sure you already done it, as you didn't cry about the cancellation. You just took it as a fact from my point of view. That was a really, it should be a very hard for you, but it didn't you just you know make the all effort and then not just you of course, but the whole team and the broadcasters and it just really looked like you all stick together as the country you know and it was really nice to see and and it must have been hard how many people have lost their jobs during this cancellation because like most of fans they probably don't see that the how big scale the event is in the terms as well of how many people are getting jobs paid jobs for creating it on many like levels and layers of its creation
1: yeah it's like we we our team uh just within the host broadcaster is about 80 people and then you have a lot of big suppliers that you're working with for for you know stage construction and light and audio and and uh, and all sorts of things Uh, there's people at the venue there's people in rotterdam preparing the side events they have suppliers, so all in all, it's thousands of people, uh, part-time or full-time, that are involved with the Song Contest. And, and obviously, for them, uh, it, was, it was really sad to, to see the event canceled. Uh, but we know that, there are, you know that there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world that, that put all their love into, into amazing events and saw all of that canceled at the start of this global crisis. And and that's 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 really sad. It's also interesting to see how many of them managed to you know innovate and find new ways to to get together and uh, and do events uh, primarily virtual. And I think there are a lot of uh, good examples of how that was done. Um, you know, with new tools and where you know long conferences were turned into multimedia experiences. Uh, almost like TV shows uh, that's really interesting to see, but of course it does n- not uh, uh, come close to actually getting together and feel the energy of a large crowd uh, uh, together celebrating uh, music culture uh, diversity uh, so uh, uh, so we hope that one day we'll we'll go back to that obviously
0: yeah, we well, are looking forward to it all of us, but we'll get back to this team. In, in this interview as well but let's get back to the past he said it really helped a lot of people to or a lot of productions or a lot of TVs or whoever else to adapt the situation because if they're not if we're not adapting it we're, we're, we can cancel the whole industry like for who knows for how long you know and one of the first things happened which really shown that even on the On the international scale it can be done somehow and that was shine a light event for Eurovision how was challenging to make it and how challenging actually it was to tell other broadcasters okay Eurovision is cancelled we need to do it somehow because there were many many opinions about this at the beginning I think nowadays everybody understands it but that definitely wasn't the. That definitely wasn't the thing. In the first month of the cancellation.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, the cancellation. Uh, I. I don't think it came as a big surprise to a lot of people because you know you saw other events uh, being cancelled or there were stories about cancellation like the Olympics and Euro football. Um, but we felt immediately that that this was exactly the right time to do something together and to create that sense of unity you know at the beginning of the crisis maybe you had it in 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 your country as well But what you saw is that all the news was either about what happens in our own country or it was a, about what happens
0: in other countries yeah, actually i was doing uh, all those interviews because i'm yeah working as a director for the news department so i was like all in into it so for me it wasn't a surprise so so
1: you know you know what the what the story was at the time and there was very little attention understandably at the start of this pandemic of you know we're actually really in this together and we can only get out of it together Uh, so rather than you know talking about ourselves and talking about about each other let's talk with each other and do something with each other which is still kind of hard yeah
0: but, yeah but it's a, it's a, the best way how to how to make it so sorry
1: yeah, so so we thought okay, we we have to seize the 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 moment uh knowing that you know there was suddenly a gaping hole in the the Saturday night schedule for forty one broadcasters or more actually and and we felt you know let's let's try and do something that that still celebrates that sense of togetherness. And also honors the artist, because, you know, obviously we were sad, but, but we, we immediately realized what the impact was for the 41 artists that sort of prepared for the big three minutes of their professional careers. And for most of them, it's a one-off experience. Uh, it's a moment that can really build your career. And to see that go up in smoke for them must have been horrific. So we wanted to do something to still celebrate them and give them exposure and uh, share uh, them and, and their music with the European audience. And to to see that, you know, you, you create this show and no one really knows what to expect. And it's Eurovision, but it's not a song contest, uh, no one really knows what to what they're gonna look at, and to still then have more than 70 million viewers for us was a big surprise. I think in, internally we said, "Oh, if it's 20 or 30 million, we'd be really happy." And then it was 72. Um, uh, and you know, it's not about the number, but it's it it's for us it was a confirmation of the notion that there was this hunger for from from the people in Europe to to get together and. Uh, and at least get a, a sense of, of your vision.
0: Yeah, you say it's not about numbers, but kind of, of course, it is. It shows how the brand is rising, how the brand is kind of strong, and it, maybe even the program wasn't the best in all scales. It just proved that the message works, that this cooperation works, that what you said, talk together works somehow, and we were at the start of learning it from the whole beginning because that was yeah. and it still is a really like transformational situation in many industries and in many relations as well and maybe we're now very used to, to speak like this like we we do right now and maybe we speak even more because i'm i don't remember we were speaking together for that long you know already so and maybe about those topics as well. And I'm glad that it's possible and we can share, you know, our knowledge or our our thinking about it. But it was really crucial times about the numbers because you've lost kind of the part or the hosting the Eurovision at that very moment because your government, uh, because, you know, hosting the Eurovision, it's not just the money from the TV, but the whole is involved. And maybe that was as well hard, and lots of money was wasted, kind of. Even you, no one could do anything about it. How hard was it for you and for the whole team to get it back together and get it back to Rotterdam?
1: Yeah, We, um, we obviously realized that you know, we're not going to let this opportunity to host Eurovision for the first time after 40 years. We're not going to let that opportunity go. And, uh, and we, we want to we wanna still do it, and we want to keep the contest with us, which as a participating broadcaster is also a responsibility. If you win, you host, and we, we, we didn't do that yet. So, so we also felt that responsibility uh, to keep it here. Uh, a lot of people, I, I remember even my mother-in-law saying the, the day after the cancellation, oh, but you know, it's obviously it's, you're going to do it next year. And that was all of our feeling uh, that this is this is what was going to happen, but to actually get there, uh, that was a different story. It was it was it was hard because to have that talk with everyone involved during a pandemic with a very uncertain outlook for the future, um, uh, you know, we had to. Uh, we had to wrap things up with with our insurance company uh, Thankfully, we had an insurance we had to get Rotterdam behind it. We had to get the venue secured for a long period of time uh, We had to Test whether you know whether whether the the participating broadcasters were uh, Were even interested in
0: uh, in coming back yeah. uh, a year later Especially when to, it was very hotel uncertain so. if it's gonna happen yeah. and then the hotel problems and whatever. Yeah,
1: so there was so much that we had to get in line, but everyone had this. there was there was no doubt with anyone that this was that this was going to to happen in twenty twenty one. So we we did three things in parallel. It was uh, uh, wrapping up the the cancellation, you know, uh, closing contracts with the suppliers, uh, concluding the the process with the insurance company. Uh, letting go some of the uh, the staff, cleaning up our desks, you know all these practical things. Then in parallel, we we did Europe Shine a Light, which was sort of fun to do because it distracted us from 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 the uh, from all the bad news around us, and it gave us some energy, which we then also used to lay the foundation for twenty twenty one. So it was. It was almost like symbolic for us that on the 16th of may we could announce at the end of the show see you next year in rotterdam and that was i think for all of us uh, a very emotional moment
0: and as well the moment of responsibility probably because this, the the danger is still there and you made four scenarios uh, for contest to happen but as well uh, it is probably very tense that the situation is changing, like, every day, kind of, in every state def- different. And I really think that we still are trying to find a way how to talk together on this scale, as I'm not really sure that we learned it through this period we were talking, you know, in a year period nowadays, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. How big risk was, was it to tell yourself, well, we need to host it anyway in 2021, because you, put yourself into a risk.
1: Part of the process uh, between the cancellation and the announcement that uh, we do it in 2021, I think it was about seven weeks and we used that time to to think about the possible scenarios because we realized that, you know, you can cancel this once, but you cannot do that twice. So we have to be pretty damn sure uh, if we make that promise that we can fulfill that promise and not be, you know, I think, I think people are, and have been very forgiving that, that uh, everyone was, was taken by, by surprise from this pandemic, uh, and that there was nothing we could do at a, at a short notice. I remember some, some fans and journalists saying, oh, why don't you do it? You know, why don't you move it to June or July or even August? Yeah. And, and maybe uh, you can explain
0: why hard, how hard is this impossible, actually, in the TV yeah. world.
1: Well, for, I mean, first of all, it's, it's um, um, to, to move the, the entire circus, uh, as I call it, with you know, your staff and the venue and suppliers and, and, and traveling and hotels and move that to, to June or July or August based on the insights from, from the scientists, we, we were not at all comfortable with the risk that came with that because we didn't know what the next months were, were going to bring, and uh, and and in hindsight, I'm very glad we, we listened to their advice because the situation was, was still very problematic in 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 summer, uh, and and look at where we are now. Just to say, just to say, you know. Have, have to just move it for a couple of months uh, was not a realistic option practically and it was not wise to do it either. But we did say as part of the process between mid-March and mid-May uh, last year, we have to think of the scenarios and we have to make sure that we can make all of these scenarios work. So we spent a lot of time on that uh, also in May, in June, in July, thinking of what these scenarios could look like when is the last moment we have to take decisions and uh, how far into the process can we downscale or or, or scale back up. And uh, that is a, a process that is affected by the changing reality every single day. And, and you know that too. Everything cha- every day, you know, you start the morning and there is some hopeful news about a vaccine and then halfway the day the... The, the the numbers come the, the infection numbers and and sometimes they're better than the day before sometimes they're worse or even much worse so every day is sort of a you yeah, know it's a, roll, like a it's a roller coaster
0: roller coaster times right. for it uh, what's the what's the last day for the decision making
1: it's not really a, a, a specific day it's, there's no calendar saying you know D day because taking decisions like this is uh, is a process which involves a lot of parties internally here, of course the EBU, the city of Rotterdam, the participating broadcasters, suppliers, um, they all they all have a seat at the table. Yeah, but um, you probably have um, to decide one day. Everyone that to back it.
0: The scenario, or we are going this way, because you can't. Even if it's a process, and especially in the TV world, everything must be a process. A lot of people are involved in the decision making. Even there's the one who say, like, it's going to be like this. It's not just a dictatorship, as as I just said, just for a shortener. But there must be set some date or there must be set some kind of deadline for, well, this is the time. Because after such piece of time, you aren't able to make a TV show. So there must be something like this.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of important decisions we have to make uh, in the first half of February. That's an important moment for us, uh, and of course, we all hope that by early February we'd be in a situation where uh, where the the pandemic has you know stabilized, where we see the impact of uh, vaccines, where where testing and all the lockdowns will will uh, show their effect. Now we know that the the uncertainty about the pandemic will probably continue for for a couple of weeks or even months uh, we see that in the uk where the situation is uh, is pretty bad uh, in ireland as well and there are obviously a lot of concerns about the uh, uh, the mutation uh, that that appears to be m- uh, much more infectious it yeah, doesn't seem good uh, so- in the
0: republic as well so
1: yeah so, so and I I can I can I understand that concern and and it's obviously uh concerning for us as organizers I'm sure it's concerning for everyone who is trying to plan uh events for for spring and summer um so um so so we're not we're not yet out of the the uncertainty at the same time our the most interesting challenge we face now is what do we believe the situation will be in May and how certain can we be, uh, you know, that, that the, the impact of vaccination will will show? Uh, how certain can we be that, you know, the, the virus uh, retracts if, uh, if the weather improves across Europe? Uh, so, th- so there's still a lot of uncertainties. And it's our job to make sure we, uh, we pick the right scenario. Um, and I, I've said it several times over the last few weeks, also here in the team, uh, you know, our, I've, I've got the question many times, what is your worst case scenario? Isn't that scenario D? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is the, the sort of lockdown scenario. And um, having thought about that during the Christmas holiday, uh, I realized that Scenario D is not the worst case scenario, at least not for for us as a team. The worst case scenario is if we uh, stand in Ahoy, in the venue, on the 22nd of May, the day of the final, and feel as if we haven't tried everything. Uh, If the situation forces us to go to scenario B or C or D, it is what it is, but... We want to be sure that we can uh, look you in the eye and everyone who loves Eurovision and that we can look ourselves in the mirror and say we've done everything we, we can possibly think of to make the best possible Eurovision Song Contest under the circumstances that we face. Uh, and and I'm sure with this team we, we, we can achieve that and everyone is really eager to uh, to do that. So. Uh, uh, so the spirit is there, uh, the ambition is there, uh, the uh, the effort is there and now all we need is uh, a bit of luck.
0: Yeah, I completely agree and I think that that's the approach I really like. I think that's inspirational as well, not just for me, but for all the people who will be listening to this as nothing is wasted when you're just going through and you are just, when you look in the mirror and you just say, well, of course, I did maximum, I just did maximum and when you're already like when you for sure did and you're not lying to yourself that's the always the best outcome whatever happens because like the situation is anyway super unpredictable but there is some like how to say there is some light shines in the like like in the end of the tunnel which was junior eurovision and that project that it really shown that even it's not the full format, Eurovision, big scale with funds format. It can be done and it can be done quite nicely. How this experience help you out and as well help you out even even emotionally.
1: Yeah, actually we had a, a meeting with the Polish team yesterday. Uh, we, we decided after a junior Eurovision, uh, which they did really well. Uh, to give them some uh, some time to rest and uh, and they were very eager to share their experiences with us and that was very helpful. It was good to see that it can be done uh, that you can actually make a great show uh, under these challenging circumstances and of course, it was challenging for them um, uh, you know the the uh, imagine what it must be like if you're in charge of that project, and every morning. You have to wait and see who, who of your team comes through the door. Yeah, I was talking about uh, this with a with, negative, with, with a negative Pekarska, Covid who, test. Yeah.
0: yeah. With Marta Pekarska, <laughs> I'm a recent Humans of Eurovision show, when yeah. she was sharing exactly this, because she was his, as well at your shoes for this, for this event as well. Yeah. And definitely it's not an easy task. So how this, her experience, And her team's experience help you out with making another steps of yours, another decisions of yours.
1: And normally, if you if you host an event like this, everything is about planning, deadlines. um, You know, making sure that uh, you know it's like it's almost like an orchestra, and uh, and and all the instruments have to play the symphony when when you get there. in the in this circumstances, the orchestra has to be ready to change the symphony at any time, uh, which requires lots of communication, uh, lots of scenario planning, lots of flexibility from people, and it's a it's a completely different uh, mindset. Obviously, event people are used to you know being flexible and and uh, being solution focused, but this is a different ball game even for the most uh, experienced organizers
0: yeah especially because this is the new new thing for everyone you know you're like this yeah. is probably the biggest event on the scale which will be done because like no euro no olympics and there's actually nothing really bigger than eurovision if we just count off football and the athletics or sports in general so so there is probably even nobody who's really experienced in that so this takes it brings me to the other question which are those remote staging because this is probably as well and probably will be the case hopefully not but it can be the case for the eurovision as well as you saw it at junior eurovision what would you improve and that's nothing harsh against the people who are done in it but you that was the first experience so what would you Done better, or how accurate you would be, with how to make it to make sure that everybody has the same, really the same, how's uh, it called, you know, uh, conditions.
1: The great thing about what they did in Poland was that they had everyone to create the basically the same set design which almost le- made it feel like everyone was there only when when you w- went to the the green room you saw that you know it was like like in zoom it was it was everyone in boxes um when we thought about that concept we thought you know if we if we have to tell 41 broadcasters to create the same set which is obviously a cost issue as well and it's a, a tech- technological challenge for some um, you cannot ask too much from them and i think in poland they already managed to to ask sort of for the maximum you know with an led floor and a big led wall and and a curved design and
0: a small and, uh, kind of the, small studio which the is
1: your prop- yeah so so you're putting a lot of work on the on the participating broadcasters but then we thought You know this is 12 acts what if you have to look at the same fairly small set design 41 times that could be maybe a little boring so we said let's go for the complete opposite uh, which is sort of in line with our theme open up um, and also reflects the the diversity that the Song Contest is, is about for a large part. And just to give all broadcasters the opportunity to, to make their own creative choices. Now, obviously, we set sort of boundaries to how far you can go. You, you cannot, you know, you cannot build a stage bigger than the one we have in, in Rotterdam, uh, because then you sort of, you know, you get a competition like who has the biggest stage. That's not what it should be about. But it, it opens up for a lot of variety um, and a lot of different creative choices. And it'll be very interesting to see what uh, all broadcasters come up with. And of course, we hope uh, that we can bring all 41 acts to Rotterdam because you know, we want them to be together and perform on that, on that same stage, uh, as it has always been at Eurovision. But if it's not, I think it will be one of the most colourful uh, and diverse uh, Eurovision Song Contest uh, we've ever seen. Uh, so that will be very interesting too. And it's it's almost a pity you cannot do both. Uh, because it will be very interesting to see uh, what the differences are.
0: But you kind of can because the countries, if I understood correctly, are obliged to do this pre-record anyway, so maybe we can see both. Maybe that that would be great. Not in the same show, not at the same show, but maybe there will be. It will be nice to see it. You know, the thinking of how to step out, out step up out of the comfort zone. Let's say it like this.
1: Yeah, and and that's a decision up to the uh, up to the EBU. And and let's not forget, we may also end up in a a scenario where you know some acts uh, are the the uh, the live on tape performances and others perform live in Rotterdam it will be a mix priority for the EBU and and of course also for us as a host broadcaster was how do you make a level playing field how do you keep it as fair as you can uh, keep it so we spent a lot of meetings on uh, on discussing how to achieve the the maximum level of, uh, of fairness
0: yeah you as well said that the vaccination is not the must for the artist but does it really means that or it may mean that like well the artist you don't need to have the vaccine but then you can't go to rotterdam and that's the pre-record or the it's it's automatically automatically taken instead of it. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah. Now, obviously,
1: uh, uh, personally, I'm a, uh, a, a big supporter of, of vaccination. And uh, if it's my turn, I'll, I'll take the shot. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, as many people as possible can take it because it's the way out of this, uh, uh, out of this uh, pandemic. Um, at the same time, uh, taking a vaccine is a, is a very personal uh, choice. Uh, it's a decision everyone has to make for uh, themselves, and and there is a big debate going on uh, uh, in 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 the media, in politics here, and I, I'm sure in many other countries, probably in your country too, uh, whether a vaccine should be mandatory, or whether it should be mandatory to allow certain things. For example, if you have the vaccine, you can go to an event, or you can go to a bar, or a restaurant, or 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 whatever um we as organizers don't believe it is up to us to make it obligatory to get a vaccine that's a that's a decision that politicians will will have to make that said uh, uh you know the more people have it the better uh, and if people don't have it you know we should anyhow uh Implement a rigorous testing protocol, just like they have with other events that are happening, like Formula One, the football competitions. Uh, they all work with uh, with testing to make sure that they keep infections uh, out of their secure environment. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, that's something we're we're very closely looking at as well. So it may very well be that uh, that if the delegations come to Rotterdam in May. They'll have to regularly get, uh, get tested before they, uh, before they enter the venue. Uh, Maybe that they have to stay in their hotel as much as possible, just like with other big events. Um, but what I feel now from the participating broadcasters is that everyone is, is uh, very understanding that a, a protocol like that is important to keep everyone safe, uh, healthy. And uh, to ultimately ensure that everyone can take part in the Song Contest performing on stage in Rotterdam. So um, so, th- th- so, there is a lot of support for it. Uh, it's very challenging, obviously, but we have some of the best people in the country working on this right
0: now. Which is great. And I think each country or most of the countries try to solve this problem kind of and especially artists and people from the TV industry and the music industry really understand how important it is because this is maybe the chance how to show and prove that even at those times it is possible and I think we all need to we all need to see that this is possible this is possible to do, and this is showing the world we are here together we're opened up again and actually that brings me to your to your VR campaign, which I love, uh, which you stay and stayed with the same theme, but you just a bit reinvented and you talk about it a bit, but can you tell me more about it and what we can expect in the future? Because you presented the idea for the postcard, but is there something you can tell me exclusively, maybe just a little small thing, which can we expect as well?
1: When, uh, when we had to think of a theme, uh, and, and the theme is important because it's like, it's like your coat rack from where you, you sort of hang all your, your creative elements. It's a, it's, a, it's a good way to create a story around your shows which, which not all viewers immediately recognize, but you notice it when it's not there. So we said we need a strong theme, and at the time when we came up with it, we looked at the world around us and we realized that uh, there was a lot of polarization going on and, and still is going on, which is a lot about listening to each other and about uh, being open to each other's point of view. And sort of get out of your filter bubble and, and, and hear out each other's opinions. And as long as we remain interested in each other, uh, that will strengthen. Uh, that will strengthen society. And openness is. It, it's also a very Dutch thing. It's everyone who went to Amsterdam probably knows the images of, you know, you can just look into people's living rooms because the curtains are always open. Um, Dutch people are very uh, uh, are very open. Uh, they talk a lot, not all as much as I do, but they talk a lot and they have very clear opinions. Uh, they voice them loud and clear. And that's uh, that's also, it, it is very Dutch. So, Open Up almost felt like a, a natural theme for us. When the pandemic hit uh, and we all f- suddenly had to face lockdowns, we thought, you know, Open Up is maybe a little bit strange if you are in a lockdown. But we also realized very quickly that even in a pandemic, people find new ways to open up. I mean, the, the very fact that we're doing this podcast with you right now uh, would probably not have done that if, uh, if it hadn't been for, for this situation. Um, you know, people going out and applaud for healthcare workers from their windows and balconies, like they did in Italy and then in many other countries. You know, we find new ways to open up, uh, even if we are limited. Uh, by the circumstances. Uh, And what we hope, um, and I'm sure many people with us, is that the Eurovision Song Contest in May marks a moment where we can uh, start to open up again as a society. And we may may not be at the end of this crisis, uh, but we certainly hope that it will be the beginning of the end or somewhere halfway back to normal and uh, and that's why we we think that that open up will will remain relevant now Obviously you asked, you know, can you reveal anything? There's nothing I can nothing big that I can reveal but uh, one thing I can mention is that uh, This year there's no allocation draw uh, because we decided to stick to the draw results from last year Uh, the host city insignia from Tel Aviv are already in Rotterdam, so no need for an exchange there either. But we did uh, come up with an alternative uh, a little bit later, uh, but we did come up with an alternative to celebrate Eurovision, to celebrate the theme Open Up, uh, to celebrate the diversity that Eurovision is all about, and to build towards the, uh, the three shows in May how exactly we're going to do that, we will uh, uh, reveal in the weeks to come.
0: I'm really curious about it, but I'm really curious about everything, everything you just said as as this is really make me think how even more important this work can be and how really important is to just make it the hell happen. It must happen, but maybe it must happen in this really nice way of your speech, you know. I've heard a lot of, people from my industry and from the music industry and from from all the cultural spectrum of the industries, which were really, really heavily struck by the COVID. And most people, they're saying like, I can't wait to come back to normal. But do you believe there is something like normal or the new opportunities, which this situation brought and we had to adapt? Just change it and there is no back to normal, but it's going to be something new which we should open up for. I think. Just because
1: we all we all have this shared experience of the pandemic. This touched everyone's life in different ways. Um, You know, some people got sick or worse. Uh, people lost their jobs. Um, uh, people face all sorts of challenges. People are concerned about their health and about the health of people around them. Uh, it hurts economically. It hurts socially. Um, there are a lot of people uh, that are depressed. Uh, and that is that is all understandable. Um, I don't think there is a... a so you, you, I don't think you can go back to normal in the sense that, you know, we'll magically transport back the way it was in January last year and pick it up from there. I think we all, there is an opportunity to build a, a, a new normal with this experience. This reminds me of a story I saw in the news a couple of months ago. It was a teacher in Indonesia. And every day she had to text on WhatsApp her students uh, about their homework. And the students were in a village uh, at quite a distance. And every day they had to walk up to a a mountain to get enough uh, cell phone reception to get the message from their teachers. And they went to the students and they went to the teacher and interviewed the teacher and the teacher at some point burst into tears and she said you know i just i i miss my students i miss being with them and at that point i i really realized that no matter who you are or where you live around the world this t- this affects everyone and uh, and and i think it's an opportunity to realize that that there will be more global challenges in the decades to come. Think of climate change, for example. This is another big challenge we have to solve, and we can only do that while doing it together. Maybe this is the right signal
0: for us that we really have to cooperate together more than we are used to. And as well, your story tells the other thing that the, the close how, how close people should be together, how important it is for us to be close to each other, even if we're maybe not the people who needs to be, or needs, doesn't need to have people around us too much, but now you're really kind of alone, and we miss it, and maybe that's important, and that's for sure very important for the contest itself, which. Mm. It's made for people to gather together to celebrate their diversity, to feel home kind of together and celebrate this together. Yeah. And as well for the artists, for their for their acts and for their music and for singing in front of the full arena. It's very important. And we know that it's very different without the fans, even the feeling of the music. So how this goal for you, it goes, should we expect That even if there are just people of Rotterdam involved into the arena, is this one of the goals, like must have goals for you to make Eurovision even similar to the Eurovision before? Yeah, the
1: um, one thing I realized when you when you when you just talk was that on one hand, we've in Europe, we've never collaborated so much around the Eurovision Song Contest. You know, normally we have one head of delegation meeting in March and we all gather physically. And this year we already had four heads of delegation meetings, but, but through Zoom. Uh, and keep each other informed and give each other advice and share knowledge and information. And, and that, that was good. That was good to do. And, uh, and I'm sure that, that that tradition will maintain at the same time i also believe that when this is over there will be a new appetite a new hunger for getting together uh, physically uh, meet each other uh, talk uh, discuss laugh uh, and have a good time uh, and have events like the eurovision song contest obviously um, you know we will do everything we we can and we will do uh, everything that that allows us to uh t- to make the best out of it like i just said we we want to make the best out of it and ideally that is you know with three amazing live shows with a, with a full arena uh with fans uh who who truly are part of the Eurovision brand uh it's just too early to say whether that is possible or whether there is, you know, whether we have to uh, look at reduced numbers of audience, which is part of our scenario B. Uh, so it's all a bit too early to say, but one promise I can make is what we will we will do our absolute best to make the best Eurovision Song Contest under these circumstances.
0: Yeah, and I wish very best of luck of making this happen as I'm a big fan of yours, big fan of your team. Big fan of Eurovision, of course. Nowadays, and I think that that's a super challenging times for you. And I'm glad that you prevailed and show with your team that this enthusiasm for making something happen and the philosophy behind it is very important to have, and it's very inspirational for me and hopefully for all of us. Thank you, Sitsa, for uh, sharing your time with me. It was a great conversation
1: thank you it was a pleasure to uh, talk to you I'm uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of your po- podcast I think it's a it's a great initiative and uh, I hope you'll continue uh, uh, for uh, for many weeks months and maybe even years to come
0: yeah I definitely don't want to put it aside as I said I must do maximum I want to look at the mirror as you said thank you very much and wish you best of luck for making the contest happens and for us that we open up again. Thanks Jan. And that was Sitza's words, and I really hope it was inspirational for you too. And I really hope this channel is inspirational for you too, as I have interviews many with many inspirational people, and I will bring you more. So please subscribe the channel for having more. Ring the bell, like the video, and of course share the video because I think it's very important to get it to the most, and that's what i have to ask you for and i see you next time thank you very much bye